Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of God's love. I'm Robin, and I am here with Katie and Lindy. Today's storyteller is one that was actually brought to us from a friend of mine who lives in Florida, and she said, here's here's a girl whose story you need to listen to. And when Sarah recorded with Robin and I actually through Zoom, there were many, many layers to her story. You will see her journey of finding God, walking through her son's addiction, walking through a health crisis, but just knowing in the end that God is sovereign and she wants everyone to know. I know her story really of meeting the Lord and her her life journey is really unique. And so here's Sarah's story. Hi, everybody. I am Sarah Faulkner. I am coming to you via Zoom from my home in Safety Harbor. I learned about Storytellers Live a few months ago from a friend of mine, and I jumped online. I listened to a bunch of stories. I ordered the Bible study book. I just, I was totally amazed and in awe by all that you're doing. And I've listened to so many stories. I just, I absolutely love them. I was kind of blown away because I thought that I was the only person sharing their God story or trying to share their God story. I have been working for the past seven years trying to share what God has done in my life because I'm a brand new person. I grew up in rural Vermont in the 70s. I knew about God, but I wasn't really interested in him. Everything I heard about him was awful and judgmental. I heard a lot about going to hell. My mom was an alcoholic. She was severely abusive. She was mentally ill. I spent a lot of my high school years in and out of foster homes. I just, it felt like the church and godly people, and maybe even God himself, was just trying to control me, trying to control me, trying to manipulate me and taking all the fun away. And I just felt like I didn't need it. (laughs) Honestly, I just, I looked at the hypocrisy in the church. That was, it was in the eighties. It was when all the molestation cases were coming out with the Catholic priests and Jim and Tammy Baker, I think. And it was just like, I just, I didn't, I didn't want any part of it. I was, um, In spite of my home life, I was pretty successful in high school. Like I was president of my class. I was captain of the team. I just, I, I did well in school. I was pretty proud. I was pretty proud of myself. And then I had a horrendous car accident two days before my high school graduation. The car that I was in snapped in half. I got thrown out on my head. I went into a coma. I missed my graduation. I spent the summer, I spent the summer trying to recover from this head injury. And I went into college sleeping several hours a day. I didn't really get traction, I guess, with friendships in college. And coming from my background with my mom and the abuse that I found there, I just kind of went on a path of relationships that were not good for me. And I really feel like as hard as I was working and as determined as I was, I was really in this perpetual cycle of depression and destructive thinking. And, you know, you keep, you keep trying to, you keep trying to do well. You keep trying to pick yourself up. It's the, it's the American spirit and the American way. You just dig your heels in and you keep working and you keep going. But then the relationship that I was in didn't work out. I was pregnant. I was left at the altar and I went into pregnancy and childbirth and raising my son alone. And all I could think about was my mother and what I had gone through and this overwhelming love that I had for my child. And I just thought, I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to love this child. I'm never going to give up on this child. I'm going to be everything that my mother wasn't. 
I'm going to stop this generational cycle. It's going to end with me. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do all this stuff. But I was still trying to do it by myself. I still was trying to do it without God. I had moved to Florida. There's a lot of Jesus people in Florida. I didn't really see a lot of Jesus people when I was in Vermont and in Colorado. But when I came to Florida, I saw Jesus people and I kind of laughed at them. They would talk about things the Lord had done for them. And I would just kind of giggle to myself and think things like, that's weird because in my house, like I'm the one paying my bills. Like the Lord is not paying my bills in my house. And so I was really like, you know, I just, I, for all that he has done in my life and the way that he has changed and grown me, I feel like an a-hole now just talking about the way that I used to think about him and the way that I used to laugh at people. I think because I was so focused on motherhood and because I loved my child so much, I think God used my children to get to me and to help me. I was actually led to Jesus by a friend of mine here in Florida. And uh, I got baptized. I accepted Jesus as my savior. I started going to church, you know, and it felt like, I don't know. I don't know if it felt like things changed or it felt like I was going to raise my kids a different way than I was raised or something like, like I was doing something that I felt like I should be doing, but it wasn't like a radical life-changing thing for me. It, it, It really wasn't. It was just something that I thought that good people did and we were good people. And I wanted my kids to have a good life and I wanted them to be successful. And I thought, okay, well, we'll go church. Like that's what we'll do. And then um, I got married. My husband and I had a daughter. This is, this is really kind of a tangent, but the labor and delivery nurse, when I was delivering my daughter, she went to Calvary Baptist Church and she just kept talking about this church and talking about Jesus as I'm in labor and delivery. And I love this woman so much that I almost named my daughter after this nurse during labor and delivery. Her name was Marsha. Like I, my daughter's name was almost Marsha. This labor and delivery nurse from Calvary Baptist Church, she talked about her church so much and she was such a wonderful woman that after my daughter got to be past the infant stage, we thought, okay, well, we're going to go to Calvary Baptist Church. And we started going there. And then my daughter, she was like a toddler. She would get up and she would ask if we could go to church. So she really, she really led us and got us into the habit of going to church. Which I was, I was beginning to love. I started to going, I started going to Bible studies then, and I started crossing paths with women who said crazy things. They said crazy things that stuck with me because they were so crazy. Like I remember one woman, her husband, her son had just gotten into a horrific car accident. He was in the hospital, and she came to our Bible study group, and she said, "All we can do is pray." And I thought, well that's ridiculous. (laughs) No, if it was me, I'd be going to the doctor. I'd be going to the nurses. I'd be there. I'd I'd be there all the time. I would like, I would make sure that he was going to be okay. I wouldn't just take my hands off and say, okay, God. And then I met another woman. We were talking about school. My son was in the gifted program. He had just done this whole thing about space. He had gone to Kennedy space center. He'd slept underneath a rocket she was talking, she was homeschooling her kids and she talked about how the most important thing was their relationship with God. And I was like, that, I, I didn't say it to her, to her face, but in my, the back of my mind, I was thinking, that's crazy. Like you put your faith in God. I'm going to put my faith in academics. We're going to do academics. We're going to do the gifted program. 
we're going to do Mozart on the piano and pitch for Little League and do all these extracurricular things that we were doing because I thought my kid was going to go to Harvard. Like he was just so smart. He'd been reading since he was three years old. He was playing Mozart on the piano. He just, he was brilliant. And I was giving myself all kinds of motherhood badges because he was so brilliant. And I was doing such a good job. I was doing all the things my mother didn't do. I was cooking organic food. I was reading to him every night. I was making costumes for his plays at school. And so when he hit 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, and he started to get really squirrely, I started getting emails from teachers at school telling me that he was misbehaving. And the emails started coming regularly. And we started to punish him a lot. And everything that we did, nothing was working. So we got this great idea. His dad, his stepdad, and I, we got this great idea to tell him that he was going to go to military school if he didn't shape up. And he said, send me. And so we had to send him. We had to send him to military school. And it broke him and it broke me. And when he came home from military school after that first semester, he was angry and he snapped and he went into a fit of rage and he was violent against me. The police were called and they came to the house and they said, is there any place he can go? besides here. And so arrangements were made and he flew to Boston to live with his dad. And I was left broken. The love of my life, who I had breastfed and nurtured and loved and cherished more than life itself, had done, had hurt me and was now taken from me. Just the, the grief, the brokenness, the inability to function was horrific. My doctor prescribed an antidepressant Lexapro for me, and it just made me feel like I was walking around with a hole blown in my chest and a smile on my face. Like I was functioning, but I wasn't functioning. And so I'd take my daughter, she was in preschool, I would take her to school, and then I would come home and I would lay on the floor and I would cry. Anyhow, my neighbor must have heard me crying because she came over and she invited me to a Bible study at her church. My son's name was Jonah, is Jonah. The Bible study was called Jonah. So it felt like a sign. And I, I went to this Bible study as a last ditch effort. All hope was gone. I couldn't function. My husband kept saying to me, honey, you got to come back. You got to come back. And I couldn't. I just, I just, I couldn't. So I, I got into this Bible study and I started learning things like Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. And I started to believe these things. And I started to feel the effects of the prayers of the women around me. And about nine months went by and I looked and my whole life had changed. My dad had, my dad was in remission from cancer. My husband and I, our marriage had, I don't know what the word is. Our marriage had revived. My son and I, and our relationship had healed. I just, I felt like God was real. He had changed everything. He had brought all this beauty and joy and strength and hope. I just, I couldn't believe it. I was absolutely floored. And I thought if people knew where I came from and what I've been through and what has happened and what we've seen and how God has changed everything, they would have no more questions. They would have no more questions. And I, and so I felt this urgency and this call to tell people. I tried to write a book. I tried to write a blog. I spent I spent like a year and a half really working every day trying to get this story out of me. And I, I would bring my daughter to preschool in the morning and I would come home and I would write. But the pain of trying to, trying to tell 
where I had started from to get to the beautiful part of where I was, was so difficult for me that I would get sick. I'd get sick every day. Every day I would try to write, I would be in tears and I would be in the bathroom throwing up. I just, I, I had this story that I wanted so much to share and I couldn't, I just, I couldn't, I would try to tell, I would try to talk to people in person and I would cry. I would just, these ugly tears and faces would come and I would just cry. And I, I know I scared people. I really did. I just, they would see me crying <laughs> and I would, I would want to say like, wait, like I'm trying to get to the good part. Anyhow, one afternoon, the good part was that my daughter, who, she was young at the time. She was four or five. She was in preschool. She saw, she saw the brokenness. She saw the prayers. She saw me praying and she saw the prayers get answered. And so one day we were in my bedroom, we were going through my jewelry box and we found my grandmother's pearls. She was asking questions about pearls and how they were formed. It turned into a whole science lesson. And then she said, mama, pearls are like people, bad things make them prettier on the inside. And so I thought, that's it. I never wear these pearls. These are my great grandmother's pearls. I never ever wear them. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make casual pearl jewelry that you can wear every day. That's a reminder that beauty is born from struggle. And so that was a way for me to talk about the struggle that I had been through, the way that God had changed us. And I thought, I'm good now. Like I found the way. I found the way. I've been through the hardest that I'm ever going to go through. God is good. I mean, that's it. Just God is good. And I thought, I, I thought I was set. Jesus said he's the way. I thought I found the way. And so for a few years, I poured my soul into my work into sharing what God had done, to talking with women one-on-one -on -one and sharing my story. But I realized, I realized just a few years ago why I wasn't able to write a book and why I wasn't able to write a blog. It wasn't time yet. God was preparing me because he knew that more struggles were coming. He knew that I was going to be, he knew that I was going to need to be anchored in him. He knew I was going to need roots. He knew I was going to need the community of faithful women that had come into my life through my work because he was about to unravel everything. My, my son had gone to live with his dad when he was 13. He had gone through high school living with his dad. He had started and dropped out of college. As I'm working to be a champion for God and to share my story, like I always felt like he was okay, like I was okay, but he was not. I felt like he was lost. I felt like he was depressed. I felt like he was searching for himself. And he started growing more and more distant. He started not coming to see us after we bought plane tickets for him. He started missing holidays and birthdays. He missed Mother's Day. He missed my birthday. And then I got a phone call from a jail counselor out of state two days after my birthday saying, we have your son. And so in an instant, my whole world came crumbling down. I knew something was wrong. Something was very wrong. It didn't occur to me that it was drugs, but it was very apparent in that phone call that we got that it was drugs and he was in trouble and that I was about to lose him. She informed me that he was unable to make a phone call because he was still so high from the day before when he had been picked up. 
she asked me if I wanted to do anything. And I said, I just need to think about it. I need to think about it. And I need him to think about it. And I hung up the phone and it was just, it was just an avalanche. It was an avalanche of shame and sadness and terror and fear and heartbreak. And I just remember thinking, God, I'm a champion for you. Like I'm working so hard for you. Why would you do this to us? Why, who, who in their right mind would follow a God that allows this to happen to their child? I thought we had found the way. I thought, <laughs> I thought things like this didn't happen to people like us. I thought we would be protected. I, I just, I never thought. <laughs> I was so angry and discouraged and afraid and ashamed. I just thought we were going to lose everything. I just, I, you know, in the span of about a nanosecond, probably, I lost all my friends. I lost my house. I lost my husband. Like I lost, I lost my son. I lost everything. I was thinking if he went to jail, he was going to get drugs and die. If he got out of jail, he was going to get drugs and die. Like things do not end well for drug addicts. I've got addiction all through my whole family. Addiction does not end well. It's, it's, it's a death sentence. And I thought I could prevent it. I thought if I was a good enough mom, I thought just a million different ways. I thought if I worked hard enough and tried hard enough, like my kids were going to be okay. But in my, in my self-pity and in my shame and in my anger, I got mad at God for a few minutes. And then I realized I can't lose God too. And so I thought, okay, like I have a mustard seed left of faith, just a mustard seed. What is it he tells me to do? He tells me to delight myself in him. He tells me, delight yourself in the Lord and I will give you the treasures of your heart. And so sitting at my kitchen table with the tears streaming down my face with snot everywhere, I was like, okay, God, thank you. Thank you that my son is in Lackawanna County Prison. Thank you that he's on suicide watch. Thank you that I'm going to lose everything. Thank you. I don't see how this is going to be okay ever, but I trust you and I'll follow you. There were days that followed that I could not sleep. I stayed awake all night. I have a bookcase here of journals that I have filled. I just, I would stay up all night and I would write and I would pray and I, and I couldn't really breathe, but I would just recite like the Our Father prayer. And I would like to tell you that God rolled out the red carpet. He rolled out the red carpet for us. A few days went by, I spoke to the jail counselor and I said, you know, I think we have a drug addiction problem here. I think when this is all said and done, like I need to get him into rehab. And she said, well, if you can find a bed in rehab, maybe the judge can change his sentence and he can go to rehab. And I was like, really? Oh my God. Like I'll be on a plane. And she goes, no, 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 no. Like you need to find a lawyer and the lawyer can do it. I was like, okay. So I was making all these phone calls. I was doing all this research. I was reading books about addiction. I was staying up all night and I wasn't getting any calls back. And so I told my husband, I need to get on a plane. I need to go to Pennsylvania. I was on the plane. We had a rain delay. My sister texted me and said, there's a place called Karen Treatment Centers. I think it's near to where you're going. Look them up. And so I looked them up sitting on the, on the tarmac and I found out that they were one of the best, they're one of the best rehabs in the country, like top 10. And so when I got off the plane in Philadelphia, I drove straight to Karen and I brought a picture of my son and I laid it on the desk. And for four hours, I pleaded with them to give him a bed. And then they said, okay, let's go get him. And so the next stop, I drove to the courthouse. I prayed circles around the courthouse. I prayed all night long for my hotel room. I got up in the morning. I prayed. 
And I opened up to, I don't know, I think it's Psalm 37 that says, when the righteous is brought to trial, they will not be condemned. And I thought, oh, well, maybe this is a sign from God. And actually that morning, the other witnesses didn't show up. The, the arresting officer didn't show up. And the judge said, your son is free to go. He can go to rehab. And so I got in the car to drive him to rehab. And my son gave me this letter that he had written to me on toilet tissue from jail about how, how he was drowning, how he needed help, how he couldn't ask, and how he had seen my love for him reaching out to him all these years and how he wanted to do better and be better and have a different life. And so that was the beginning. He went to, he went to Karen. He was there for a month. We brought him back to Florida. He continued in rehab for a few more months here. But during that time, as I was filling prayer journals and praying for him, there was a moment where I saw the prayers shift. And instead of praying for him, I started praying for me. And that's when God really started changing everything. In the meetings that I was going to, I was going to the family group meeting and Naranon meetings, and I was meeting with a counselor privately. I was reading books and praying all night. What I kept hearing was that loved ones, parents usually of addicts are codependent. They don't cause addiction, but they can contribute to it. And up until this point, I had been thinking, no way, there's no way, there's no way I contributed to it. Like I, nobody knowingly contributes to their child's drug addiction. And so I go to these meetings and then I would come home and like all night long, like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. How could I have, could I have God? I'd like open my eyes and show me. And then he showed me, he showed me how I had put my son above everything. I had put my son first. He was, he was the love of my life. I had put my son first. I had put him on a pedestal and not that we can't and shouldn't do that as parents, but you can't put him in a place that's higher than God. And so when I realized that these behaviors, this love that I had in my bones for my child that had been the mission of my whole life and my whole purpose, just to raise him and to nourish him had been, had played a part in his addiction it wrecked me. I was done. I collapsed in my dining room. I remember crying out. I was alone here. And I said, God, I can't, I cannot, I can't carry this. I can't carry this knowing if something happens to him, if he overdoses and dies, and it's because of something that I have done, I can't, I can't contribute. I can't carry this knowing. And in that moment, I feel like all the ways that I had tried to cope with things over the years all came roaring over me. I wanted to I wanted to drink, I wanted to smoke, I wanted to cut myself, I wanted to purge, I wanted to I wanted to die. I wanted to die. And in I don't even know how to describe it, but in that moment I had the greatest wash of peace come over me. I felt like chains were broken. And that's a really strange thing because I never felt like I had chains on me before. But in that moment, chains were coming off of me. And I felt like everything that I had ever done, everything I had ever done bad was forgiven. Everything I'd ever done from the deepest places of love in my soul that may not have been the right things were forgiven. I felt like everything was absolutely forgiven and that everything was going to be okay. In that moment, I just felt like Jesus was there. And I was going to be okay. We were going to be okay. And I look back on it and I don't think it's a coincidence 
that from that moment forward, my son's recovery was like a rocket. It just changed the trajectory of our lives in that moment. His face changed, his appearance changed, the things that he was wearing changed. He started getting a lot better right at that moment. And so did I. And so I went through a time after that, I was talking with a friend of mine and uh, I was grieving about times that we'd lost that we could never get back. And she said, oh no, that passage from, oh, let me see if I can remember it. James 4.10, the locust will give back to you all that has been taken. She said, that promise is for you too. And I, we were having coffee and I kind of like chuckled and snorted and coffee came out and I fell out of my chair. Like I couldn't believe something like that, but it has come true. He has, he has given us back more than we've lost. He has the lives that we have now, the people that we are now, the things that we have learned and who we've become through this struggle are more beautiful than anything that I could ever imagine. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I just, I, I feel bad that my son had to go through so much pain, but I feel like we have learned things that can never be taken away. And we have been strengthened in a way that we're never going to lose. Like we have seen a miraculous God. We have seen good things come from great messes. It's just, it's just amazing. I just, I'm just, I'm so in awe. I, I was at this point where I was like, okay, God, like whatever you want me to do, I will do. Like, I want people to know about you. I want to give my life to you. I just, I, I just, I love you so much. And I want people to know. I told you, I have all these journals. So on the morning of October 7th, 2019, that's what I wrote in my journal. I wrote, God, whatever you want. Like, I, I will do anything. Use me. Use me for your good. Use me for your glory. Use us. Use our story. Use it to help other people. Because if they knew, if they knew, if they knew your forgiveness and your freedom, like they would want it. And so I wrote in my journal and I brought my daughter to school and I went to the club and I swam some laps. And then I got into the shower and it felt like something or someone hit me in the back of the head with a board. I just got... I just got the most severe headache imaginable in an instant. When a brain aneurysm ruptures, it's described as like a rubber band snap on the back of your head. But when my brain aneurysm ruptured that morning, it was like I got hit in the back of the head and I started to vomit. I hadn't eaten, so I was heaving. The pain made the head injury, made the head pain hurt more. The head pain made the vomiting come more. I started to lose my vision and I felt like I had seen spiritual warfare during my son's struggles. And I felt like, I felt like the enemy was trying to kill me. And so I started praying, submit yourself to God, resist the devil and the devil will flee. <clears throat> and I had my phone in the bathroom because I was going to listen to a podcast that morning. And so I'm praying, submit yourself to God, resist the devil and the devil will flee. And the pain would diminish just the tiniest amount. And so I was able to call my husband and I said, honey, I think I just had brain aneurysm. You need to come home. And he was like, okay, okay. Like I'll be there in a second. Except it's not a second because his office is 45 minutes from our house. But when he got home, I was on the floor. I was wet. I was naked. I was vomiting. I hadn't been able to tell him how I lost my vision and then the headache. And so he thought I had food poisoning. And he was like, honey, why don't you just clean up and get into bed? 
Because if I take you to the hospital, you might have to wait, you're going to be throwing up, just get into bed. And so I got into bed on Monday morning and I stayed there all week with my brain hemorrhaging. When I was awake, I would just pray the Our Father prayer, like on repeat, or submit yourself to God, resist the devil and the devil will flee on repeat. And I just stayed there. I stayed there for a week. I was, I was so weak. I couldn't really do anything. And my husband and my daughter were troopers. They thought I had food poisoning. They took care of themselves that week. But Friday I had a chiropractor appointment. My husband drove me because I wasn't able to do anything by that time. And I walked in and the chiropractor said, I'm not going to touch you. You look like you have spinal meningitis or something. Go to the ER. And so we went to the ER. They did a CT scan. They saw that I had blood on the brain. They just, they put me in an ambulance. They sent me to another hospital. They got a brain aneurysm specialist surgeon on board. They put me right into emergency surgery. And when they got me into surgery, my brain had already started to die. They call it vasospasms because blood on brain tissue kills it. And I had been collecting blood in the back of my head for a week. And so after my surgery, there's a period of about 10 days or so in the hospital that I don't really remember. My husband tells me that I kept saying that I wanted to die. I remember looking for Jesus while I was in that I was in the CCICU, so I was filled with needles. They couldn't give me anything for the head pain because they were watching me for stroke. I would look for Jesus. I have this vision that I love that comes straight out of the movie Risen, where Jesus is meeting in secret with his disciples after his crucifixion. And the, the Roman soldier that killed him walks in and Jesus looks at him with the kind, loving eyes and like, warm, open arms. And I have this vision of Jesus that I love to conjure up of him just looking at me with these warm, loving eyes and like outstretched arms. And so in that hospital bed, I kept trying to see Jesus the way that I love to see him. But what I saw instead was Jesus in combat boots and he had his back to me. It was like he was a general, like he was orchestrating an army and he would not look at me. And then there was a flood of people that came to see me and pray for me. Doctors that work there that go to our church that aren't, that weren't my doctors were coming in and praying for me. Pastoral care from our church came in and prayed for me. My husband's phone was blowing up with friends and neighbors and family and strangers bringing food to our house and helping get my daughter to and from school. There was just this generosity and this crazy outpouring of love for our family, I started getting better. I started getting better. And then pretty soon I was walking and talking. And then I was doing laps around the floor. The nurses, the nurses would call me a walkie talkie. They would say how in all their years, like they've only seen just a couple of people recover from, from um, injuries like mine. And so, so I came home 21 days after my surgery with this beautiful and renewed love for God. And I was pretty, I was really very ecstatic, but I still wasn't functioning. Like I couldn't, I couldn't really take care of myself. I couldn't, I couldn't really use my hands. I couldn't really brush my hair. I couldn't, I couldn't really have conversations because it would just hurt my head too much. It would hurt my head too much. And so I spent a lot of time just looking out the window. 
and letting my family take care of me. And as as much as I as much as I was thankful to be alive, I felt horrible that I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do my work. I couldn't care for my family. I just felt like I was a burden. My life had no purpose. And that if I didn't get better and I didn't recover, there would be no point in living, really. I could see the pain that I was putting my family through. And I was aware of what I couldn't do. And I, and I just, I felt like what old people must feel like. Because my grandmother used to tell me that she felt like she was young until she looked in the mirror. And I felt like that's the way it was for me. Like, I just, I knew what I couldn't do. I wanted to do things and I couldn't do them. I kept trying, I kept trying. And it got to where I could read, you know, a little bit at a time. And my friend sent me Louis Giglio's book, Goliath Must Fall. And there's a chapter toward the end where he's talking about Paul and Paul's thorn and how God didn't give Paul a thorn to punish him. God gave him a thorn to show him that he had access to a greater and deeper power. And I thought to myself, what if that's true? What if it's true? What if I have access to a greater and deeper power and God is using this brain aneurysm business to teach me? And at that point, like I didn't have anything to lose. I was, I had been in the same clothes for about a week. Like my hair was matted and oily and pressed to my head. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to trust Jesus to heal me. And if he does, I'm going to tell everybody about it. Well, I can tell you that I am sitting here now as living, breathing proof that he does what he promises and that he heals. I just, I found scripture and focused on healing scripture. Um, I went through uh, neurocognitive rehab. I, I started spending every morning uh, in my Bible, writing down things that I was thankful for, writing down dreams that I want to come true in my life, writing down who I am in Christ. And I started to feel like I was a brand new person. I think the aneurysm wiped my slate clean. It just, it totally made it so that I could do nothing else except pray. And when I prayed and when I structured my days around scripture and promises and prophesying those promises over my life, he made me new. Those scriptures that say, you know, do not conform yourself to the world, but but be renewed by the transformation of your mind. Like that is real. I just, I could have very easily laid in that bed after hemorrhaging for five days and having the surgery and spending all these days in the hospital and coming home weak and bruised and broken and done for. Nobody would have faulted me if I had done that. But Jesus made a different way. He made a different way. He made me, he made me brand new. He showed me where my priorities should be he wiped out all the garbage and he, he set me in a new place. And I just love it. I just love it. And so, and so I'm working and I'm so happy and I'm sharing God. And I, you know, I've recovered from this brain aneurysm rupture and this stroke. And I have to go see my neurosurgeons just so he can check. And I'm sure that I'm 100% healed. Like I'm thinking he doesn't even need to check me because I'm good. I know it. I'm good. And he comes back and he tells me the aneurysm has grown back. It's bigger than it was before. I need another surgery, but I need to wait. I need to be on blood thinners for a week. The surgery would be more complicated. And so I leave and I go home and I start thinking, okay, God, you, you almost took my life before the pain, struggle, the fighting, the 
the agony for seven days, for seven days, I carried around the knowing that I had this ginormous aneurysm that had ruptured once before that was ready to burst again. I I instructed my children like, okay, if something happens to me, you need to call the ambulance and you need to send me to Morton Plant Hospital, not this other hospital. I need to go to Morton Plant. And they were just like, mom, like, don't be morbid. Don't be weird. And I was like, okay, guys, but just in case, just in case, like you need to know. And so I did a lot of writing that week. I did a lot of praying that week. And what I realized is that I thought about questions like, if I only had a week left to live, what would I do? If I'm at the end of my life now, what is it I wish that I would have done? And when I thought about it, and when I thought about my family, when I thought about my days now, I realized I'm doing what I want to be doing. I've lived the way that I've wanted to live. If God wants me to go through this aneurysm rupture business again, I'll do it. And so from a place of gratitude and thankfulness and about a hundred women praying for me, I went for my second surgery. The risks for stroke were high with that second surgery. I never should have survived the first one. I I just never should have survived, period. And so when I woke up after that second surgery and I... I checked myself and I was like, wait, am I okay? I think I'm okay. Like, does my head hurt? No, my head doesn't hurt. Did I have a stroke? No, I don't think I had a stroke. And there was a nurse beside me and I said, did I, did I go? Is it done? And he said, yes, actually, you know, Dr. Fox just called your husband. You're all done. He said the procedure went easier than he thought it was going to. And you're good. We're going to bring you upstairs. And so he brought, they brought me upstairs to the CCICU, I stayed awake all night long, praising Jesus. I was just praising Jesus. I just, I, I couldn't believe it. Like he didn't bring me through one brain aneurysm. He brought me through two. He brought me through two. And uh, this is April, 2021. That was last year in May. I don't know. I just, I'm a new person. I'm absolutely a new person. I just, I am so thankful for you and for this opportunity to share because God's amazing. He's just absolutely amazing. And, and people need to know you just, you, whatever you've been through, whatever you've seen, however broken you may or may not feel like God is there and he can put it all back together again. He can put it all back together again. He can make you better than you ever were before. He just, he's just amazing. <laughs> I mentioned in the beginning that Sarah's faith journey is so unique. You know, she grew up with such a difficult childhood and really met the Lord in a unique way. And he continued to show himself mm-hmm. to her in unique ways. Yes. And so early on, she said, I want to do things differently. <laughs> like the love that she felt for her son and for her child. And she even said God used her children to get to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was very powerful. But yet, like all of us as moms, she fell into those motherhood yeah. badges. When she said, you put your faith in God, I'll put my faith in academics. Yes. I just want my son to pay, play Mozart. He was very smart. <laughs> yes. I mean, we all put our value in the trophies of our children. And that mm-hmm. is not where where the Lord wants us at all. And circling back to the addiction issue, when um, she said, I put my children higher than mm-hmm. God. Right. And I'm, I've been so guilty of that myself. I know. Mm-hmm. It, it broke my heart to hear her talk about how she, you know, took some blame mm-hmm. for what had happened had with her son. That. Me too. Because right. mm-hmm. I was like, no, did you? Did right. you really? But I think what she was trying to tell us was that we don't need to put our child in place of God and yes. where he needs to be. 
we don't need to put that pressure on them. And I really appreciated hearing that. Um, For me, I just, I loved the visual of God in combat boots when she was in the hospital. In front of her. Yes. Yes. And just fighting. Because here's the thing, guys. We are in spiritual warfare, whether we want to talk about it or not. I mean, Ephesians 6 talks about that clearly. But the beautiful thing about Ephesians 6, if you want to look it up today, we've got the weapons to fight with. And it's just so, so comforting to know that Jesus is right alongside us, not even alongside us. He's in front of us (laughs) fighting those battles before us. And I just, I loved, I love Sarah's passion for the Lord. And I loved more than anything how she desperately wants people to know who God is. Yes, Yes, because he met her in such a profound way. You know, she said kind of in the middle of her story when, when she was struggling and all this was happening with her son. She said, in that moment, chains were breaking, Mm -hmm. everything was forgiven, and Jesus was there, and we were going to be okay. I have chills. And (laughs) yeah, I mean, it it really stopped me to say, that's who God is. You know, he showed himself to her in different ways throughout her story. But that moment when chains break, and you're given freedom, that's so many of our stories, is that freedom moment, is that chain breaking moment from being bound in whatever you've walked through into freedom. And so we pray that for you today, that as you listen to Sarah's story, that you find your own chains, you find your own place where you're bound up, where the Lord will bring you freedom, ask him to bring you freedom. And all you need is hearing her story and seeing what he did for her to know that he can do that for you. You don't need that that moment. You can ask for that moment and he'll give it, but you don't need that moment to change your life. You can take her moment for yourself and let the Holy Spirit do that. And if you loved Sarah's story as much as we did, and you want to just see her jewelry, her business, it's beautiful. You can find her at milkvelvetpearls.com, and she even has a version of her story written on there. So thanks for listening today. Thanks for sharing our stories. It means so much to us when you share them with friends, when you share them on social media, and when you send us messages. We got one this morning of somebody saying how much a story had meant to her and how God used it for her to find a counselor and to get help. Y'all, we... It's what makes us go. It's the Lord encouraging us every step of the way. So thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.